Let's go to God in prayer. Lord, you are such a good and gracious God. And this morning as we have worshipped you with our praise, our confession, our song, our prayers, our offering, Lord, we worship you now in the understanding of your word. Come Holy Spirit, speak into our hearts and into our minds that word which we need to hear for ourselves. And I pray, Lord, that as I teach from your word, that I would become smaller and that you would become bigger. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you noticed that kids understand the power of the nag? Right? Kids understand that if they nag you long enough, you will give in to them. You will submit. This summer as I was um, riding around with my grandson, who this weekend turned 11, cute little devil. He's actually a big guy. Shouldn't call him little. Anyways, he decides to ask me a question. Papa, that's what he calls me, Papa. Papa, would you give me a loan? Do I look like Bank of America? But I guess to him I do. So I said, well, what is it that you want the loan for? Well, Papa, I want to get a scooter so I can do tricks, kind of like a skateboard with handlebars. Really? And what does that cost? I forget what he said, $50, $60, something like that. Now, he knew if he asked me to buy him that scooter, I would tell him to save up his allowance and take on a few projects and save up his money and earn it. The problem is that whenever he gets to about 15 or $20, he just got to spend it. And he's never going to make it. So he's trying to talk me into giving him a loan. So I said in my best Papa voice, no. Why, Papa? Because I don't want to give you a loan for that. But I don't understand. How come? Why? He must have asked why five or six times. Like if he kept asking why, I would just give him the loan to stop it. Finally, I said to him, this is my money. I will do with it as I please. When you get your money, you can do with it as you please. Do I sound like my father or what? <laughs> I told him, no, the end of it. And he stopped. That was like amazing. Now what I liked about 
what Dominic did was there was something he wanted and he was willing to persist, right, for it. What I didn't like is that I want him to persist in the right sort of things and that was not persisting in the right sort of thing. Because, like, I knew he wasn't going to pay me back. <laughs> Jesus, according to Dr. Luke in his gospel, told a parable about persisting in prayer and never giving up on God. And in this parable, he paints a picture of a widow who keeps coming before a judge, asking to be justified against this adversary who has taken advantage of her. And she won't stop until the judge finally relents and hears her case and gives her justice. Now the context for this parable in which Jesus was teaching, this happens we're in a setting where the Pharisees have asked Jesus about the coming of the kingdom of God, the return of the Messiah, the consummation of history. It's within that context, there is going to be no more waiting. Not for loans, not for justice, and not for God. We're going to look at this parable today as we continue in our series on the marks of a disciple. This is a two-part series. We're in the first part. The second part will happen in the new year. But in this first part, we're going through five character traits and competencies. And what I want to say about this, especially in light of, of how high a bar they can be, and that I think, you know, as we got some text questions from uh, former uh, messages in this series, people said, well, you know, this is hard stuff. And they're right. You were right to say that. But what I want you to understand is we don't become this disciple that meets these bars through our hard work. It is the fruit of the transformation that the Holy Spirit works in us and through us. It is God at work in us and through us. So whatever I say, and because I'm an old coach, you'll probably hear me pushing you to give it your all and do all of that. I don't want you to assume that it is not dependent upon God. It is absolutely dependent upon God. All of these things are. But I don't believe that that lets us off the hook for doing our very best and giving God our very best in following Him. In each of these marks, we could certainly look at Jesus and see that he was these character traits and competencies. And that the Spirit works to make us a disciple of Jesus who is more like Jesus. Now today, 
The mark that we're looking at of a disciple is to pray faithfully. Pray faithfully. And in the parable of the persistent widow, Jesus teaches his disciples to always pray, being steadfast and persistent in trusting God. In fact, prayer is the indispensable expression of trust in God. Jesus modeled it in his very life. Throughout the scriptures, if you read carefully, you will find in the gospel that Jesus is going off by himself and he's in prayer. Sometimes the disciples actually have to go and search him out because they can't find him. He prayed and he trusted God. And we are to be like him if we are to be his disciples. Praying and trusting God. What I invite you to do now is open up your Bibles to Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. If you didn't bring a Bible, don't worry about it. You can go on your phone or you can look up here on the screen. We're going to read the text together. And Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while, he, that is the judge, refused. But afterwards, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. Will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give them justice speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This morning, as we look at this text, I want us to look through different lenses. First, I want us to look through the lens of the characters. Then I want us to look through the lens of the story and its storyline. Then I want us to look through the lens of the moral, and finally, through the lens of an application. So let's begin with the three characters. There are three characters which are front and center in this parable. The first is a judge. Scholars tell us he is not a religious judge. In a theocracy, we might be surprised that he is not a religious judge. But scholars tell us that they did have municipal judges who settled matters and disputes. And so this evidently was a municipal civil judge. He is described as independent of all accountability, both morally to God and socially to the community. It says that he neither feared God 
nor respected man. Further, this judge is described as unrighteous. That means he is unjust, unscrupulous. Rather than do the right thing, he would do the thing that was expedient to serve his personal purposes. He served his own interests. The second character is a widow. Widows were the most vulnerable in ancient society. Remember what Brandon said when he quoted a scripture to us during the announcements. And he talked about orphans and widows. They have a special place in God's heart. Widows were vulnerable in ancient society, especially if they didn't have a male child to help take care of them. Consider the story of Naomi and Ruth in the Old Testament. Women didn't have a trade or a profession. They had no legal standing or power within the community. And this is why Jewish law specifically protected them. We are unsure about this widow's grievance, though. All that we know is that her adversary has taken advantage of her using a greater standing and power than she had for herself. The only recourse available to this widow was to come to the judge. The third character in this parable is the adversary. We know nothing about the adversary, only that he is an adversary. But if the context of the second coming of the Messiah is the context for which this parable is being presented, and if injustice and persecution will and must be endured by Jesus' disciples, then it is likely that the adversary is a reference to Satan. The Bible calls him our adversary. Look at what we read in 1 Peter. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now, I want us to be careful not to read too much into what this parable is not saying. But I do think we can't assume that the adversary does relate to Satan. The lens of the storyline, I call it court, is in session. The judge would hold court at regular times and regular places to adjudicate problems and disputes for the people of the community. They all knew when those times and those places were, so they would come before the judge and present their case. The tense used in the parable says that the widow kept coming before the judge. She didn't come once. She didn't come twice. She didn't come three times. She came again and again and again. She came asking for vindication and relief 
We read in the third verse, and there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. But the parable doesn't tell us why the judge refused to hear a case. He simply did. And that's why it is followed with, for a while he refused. Now we don't know exactly why. Maybe this judge was bribed not to listen to her case. Or maybe he was hoping that the widow would bribe him to hear his case. That may sound a little out of sorts, but in my previous pastorate, when we supported a missionary in Nigeria, and we had sent things over to him, they stayed on the dock for three, four, five months. They were paid for. There was no reason they couldn't be released. And our missionary refused to bribe them to release what had been provided for his mission. After about seven months, they released it to him. That's how people in power can be corrupt. We don't know if that's what he was doing. All we know is that as many times as the widow came to him, he refused. But finally, the judge came to the realization she is not going to give up. The power of the nag works. Her persistence was wearing him down. So we read, for a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, troubling me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Scholars tell us the Greek word therefore, beat me down, literally means that she might physically pounce on him. I'm not sure that that's what was intended. But certainly, the judge had to feel beaten down by her continual coming. Now notice, in the parable, the judge who decides to hear this widow's case, he doesn't do it because he develops a conscience. He doesn't do it because it's the right thing to do. He doesn't fear God and he doesn't respect man. He does it because she keeps bothering me. She won't give up. He is the same despicable judge even when he decides to give her justice as he was before he refused to hear her case. Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. The widow's persistence has won the day. The adversary must pay the price for unfairly taking advantage of this vulnerable widow. We've looked at the characters. 
We've looked at the storyline. There is a moral to this story, and let's look through that lens now. Now, I have a confession to make before I start on this. Years ago, when I was what you might call a baby Christian, I sort of thought this meant if I nag God enough, He'll relent and answer my prayers. But the more I've come to know God, the more I realize that's just not true. God's not unjust. God can't be nagged into something. God always does what is right. God is filled with love for his people. And even though some of his people say, well, you know, I've been bad. He's got no reason to listen to me, right? I'm a horrible, terrible person. Yet God shows mercy. Think about it. Think about it. When God came to take Israel out of Egypt, he hadn't saved them yet. He hadn't given them the law. But when he took them out, he saved them didn't he? He had set them apart. His mercy and grace were covering them. And think about David. David is this unbelievable trust in God. And he does some incredibly evil things, sinful things. Yet he is not caught up in legalism or the law, but he is always caught up in the mercy and grace of God that is so overwhelming, he can't do anything else than what we sang today. It's the art of celebration. There's so much to praise God for. How can we be caught up in this terrible kind of heavy thing with God. When in fact, His love and His care should just change us. God doesn't listen to us because we nag at Him. That's not what He's asking us to be persistent for. God is just. And He is loving. And He is good. Jesus was arguing from the lesser to the greater like any good rabbi. He was not saying that God is like an unjust judge. Rather, he was saying the opposite. He was saying if an unjust judge, upon listening to repeated pleas of a widow, would decide to give her justice, how much more will it be true of God who is just and true? Won't he do it so much faster? Won't he be so much more eager? Of course. It is because God is just and loving and faithful that we can expect him to hear and answer our prayers. Giving to us what is good and right. 
Now at the end, this is what Jesus says as he's arguing from the lesser to the greater. I tell you, he, God, will give justice to them speedily, referring to God's people. And having said this, then Jesus says this to his disciples. It's a question, and it takes us back to the context, the backdrop for this teaching. He says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? When Jesus returns, will he find people of faith who trust in God? The point that Jesus is trying to make in this parable about persisting in prayer is that it is not just about us praying to God as good as that may be. Having constant conversation with God. That's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. But Jesus is making a more important point that prayer is an act of trust. Of trusting God. Of knowing that first and foremost above all things, we place our trust in God. So prayer is to precede all things. What is prayer if it's not trust in God? What I'd like us to do at this point is look at some of the applications of this parable. And there are four things I want us to look at as it relates to identifying with the persistent widow. Jesus wants us to be like her when it comes to praying and trusting in God. Can we, can we agree on that? Isn't that the point of the parable? We should be like her when it comes to always praying and trusting in God. Well, here's the first thing. Like the widow, we are powerless and vulnerable spiritually. Or we may not be the most vulnerable within society. Many of us have much more than the world has materially. And some of us have more than even others here. But we are in need of God's intervention spiritually. We will never persevere against the adversary. He is just too much, too clever, far more powerful than we are in ourselves. Although he is not more powerful than Jesus. Nor is he more powerful than the working of the Holy Spirit in us. Jesus called the adversary a liar, a thief, and a murderer. First, what did Satan do in the Garden of Eden? He lied to Eve because he wanted to steal her away from God. That makes him a thief. And Jesus talked about the fact that, you know, Wolves are going to come in and try to steal the sheep. He's a thief. And what does he want to do? 
He wants to bring about our demise. He wants to take our very lives. You may think, ah, you know, that's figurative language. I think I've said this before to you. I had a brother who committed suicide. And in his adult life, if you traced, and I did, the influence of sin over him, it's easy to see that he bought into the lies of Satan, that he was stolen away from God, and that he became so confused. Satan got him to take his own life. That's how serious this really is. We need the help of God. We are powerless and vulnerable like that widow. But God has provided for us. He's provided for us in a Savior who gave his life upon a cross, shed his blood to cover us so that forgiveness might wash us clean. He's given us the power of the Holy Spirit so that we may have victory over the adversary. And he's given us spiritual armor. And look at one of the pieces of the spiritual armor. Praying at all times in the Spirit. Prayer is part of our spiritual armor. Here's the second thing that make us like the widow. We must stand against the adversary who is constantly waging war against us. We may not see it. It may not seem so blatant to us. But Scripture says it is going on all the time. We read in the Word of God this, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now catch this. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, present darkness, and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You know, what's amazing is if we look at the political landscape, right? We see people vilifying one another. It's, it's overwhelming. And people don't realize that behind all of this are entities in the spiritual realm. They're not fighting each other. They think they are. We are fighting against powers and principalities in high places, my friends. And we should not forget that. We must stand against the adversary. Otherwise, he will take ground away from us in relationship to the Lord that belongs to the Lord. Here's the third thing. We are to be like the widow Persisting in prayer as an act of trusting God above all else. Did you know that trust is the one thing that God wants from you? Did you know that? 
above all else. God wants you to trust him. We could lay out all these religious things and all these laws and all of this, but if I were to summarize the one thing God wants from us, he wants us to trust him. Ephesians 2.8 says, By grace we are saved through faith alone. The spiritual correlate of trust is faith. That we would trust God above all else. You know, I often talk to people at the end of their lives. Sometimes I don't know where people stand with God. So I ask them directly, how are you doing with God? Where are you with God? And if I'm unsure, I tell them, this is what I can tell you. Jesus has promised that those who belong to him, he will come and take them home to be with himself. If you will trust in what Jesus has done on the cross for your life, if you will trust him, it will be enough. Think of the criminal on the cross. Jesus, remember me when you're in your kingdom. I tell you before this day is over, you'll be with me in the kingdom. The point of prayer from the parable's perspective is that it is to be an ongoing act of trust and dependence upon God. It is not merely a recognition of our need from God, but it is an an act of trust and dependence upon God. It is like a father saying to his child who's standing on the, the landing, you know, halfway up, jump! And your kid jumps. That's what prayer is. We're trusting God. Now let me say, for some of us, we struggle with prayers. Especially if, you know, we've had to work really hard in our lives. And we learned early on that 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 matters. And made a difference. And, and especially if our parents made um, their approval and their love all about what we did. It's easy to get that all mixed up with God. But that's not what God wants from us. He wants us to trust in Him. And so for some of us, prayer can be difficult because of that. For others of us, prayer may be difficult because... Well, we learned to pray rote prayers. I did. I grew up a a good Roman Catholic. And I'll tell you what. I could say 10 Hail Marys and 10 Hail Fathers and get out of that sanctuary in two minutes flat time. That's some fast praying. Wasn't sincere, but it was fast. And all of a sudden, when I become a Protestant, now I'm supposed to just pray 
from my heart. I'm not even sure how to pray from my heart. And as a pastor, I listen to pastors, they pray pretty eloquently. I don't consider myself a very eloquent prayer. I'll just go to God and say, God, this is what's going on. Here's where I am. This is what I'd like. But Lord, not my will, but yours be done. It's enough. It's enough. But you know what helps? Praying with others. That helps our prayer life. And I want to suggest to you that there are places where you can pray with others. First, in your life groups. You can pray together in your life groups. That's important. Not just praying for each other, but praying together. Right? I love listening to other people's prayers. They just edify my heart and they help me to just see how good God is to listen to these prayers. But there's the prayer ministry here at church. We have people who are on this list who will pray for, for a month. Different prayers throughout the month that relate to the staff, the leaders, the ministry leaders, the congregation. That takes place all month long and everybody's on the same particular prayer on a particular day. It's a way to be praying together. And that, that list of people, when we have an emergency prayer request, echoes out to them so they can pray it right away to God because prayer matters. There's time before services here over in the hospitality room. About 8.50 in the morning, they get together and pray. They pray for the education hour. They pray for the service. They pray that we will be touched by the Spirit of God. They pray for people who come and show up. That they will have a divine appointment with the Lord. They pray for all of us. And there's First Wednesday prayer. That's a joint prayer time with the Dada Tikva here in the sanctuary from 7 to 8. First Wednesdays of every month. We've had some pretty phenomenal prayer times together. If you haven't tried it, I want to encourage you. Check it out. It's going to encourage prayer in your life. It's going to encourage you to be persistent in prayer. But here's a novel idea. This was something uh, I was introduced with our young people when we were in Kansas City. You guys remember Kansas City? An old guy should never go with young people on a trip. But it was awesome. And at one point, we were doing prayer walk. People were walking around the city praying for the city. And we were walking around praying for the teams that were doing ministries. Now some of the others 
were out there on street corners just walking around. People didn't know they were praying. They were just quietly praying. Occasionally they might stop and talk to somebody. We did that too in the campus setting where we were. How you doing? And what's happening? Is there some way I could pray for you? Interestingly enough, there were lots of people who were happy to have some prayer. I wonder what would happen if some people from North Suburban Church decided to do some prayer walks in Deerfield and Northbrook. I wonder if we did that for a year, what might change in our community? I wonder if any of us have the courage to say, yeah, I want to do that. Let's do that. I wonder how many people will join. I'll just leave it at wonderment. But I hope and pray the Holy Spirit moves us to that. I'll tell you what, if you invite the kids, they'll teach you. They'll show you how to do it. Because they got it. Here's the last thing about being like the widow. Like the widow, we are to persist in prayer and never give up hope. And you know why? Because the hope doesn't rest in our prayer. It doesn't rest in the power of prayer. Hope rests in God. And he is faithful. Amen? Boy, that's a weak amen. He is faithful. Yes, he is. Okay, better. I want to make sure you guys believe it. God will do what God has promised. Even if we can't see it by faith, we believe this to be true. And the writer of Hebrews tells us that one day we will see it to be true. Just as the great men and women of faith believed. Because our hope is in God and not in ourselves. The big idea today is this. If we are to be intentional followers of Jesus, then we will persist in living out our trust in God by always praying and never giving up on God. Can I hear an amen to that? Wonderful. Now I want to close this morning with a very special prayer. And I know that people don't always like to be seen visibly for things. We like to keep it very private sometimes. But I'm going to ask you to stand if I've identified an area that you would like God's help to persist in praying for. So, if you'd like God's help to persist in praying and not give up on praying for your own salvation or the salvation of another, be it a friend, a, a family member, uh, anyone, then please stand and stay standing. If you would like God's help to persist in praying and not give up on asking for your own forgiveness or to forgive someone else, regardless of how much they have hurt you, please stand. If you would like God's help to persist in praying and not give up on receiving grace, on letting grace into your life, or extending grace to others as an expression of God's love, please stand.
if you would like God's help to persist in praying and not give up on health concerns or healing for yourself or for someone else, please stand. And if you would like God's help to persist in praying and not give up on God for whatever reason, whatever it may be personally, then I invite you to stand. I'd like to pray for you. Now, James says that we don't have because we don't ask. And when we do ask, we ask with wrong motives. So we will follow the example of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane who came before God, poured out his heart, and told the Father that he would like the cup of the cross to pass from his plate. Even so, he would end this prayer saying, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray for your help, your divine assistance in persisting in prayer as an expression of our trust in you. First and foremost, for all these various reasons, Lord, it is easy for us to get discouraged. It is easy for us to lose our, our focus. But Lord, we know that you are able. We ask you to help us to persist, to pray for ourselves and to pray for others and to pray about these things that matter. And God, we pray and hope that they matter to you. And we ask that while we bring this to you and they matter to us, we will release the answer into your greater will and plan and purpose. For we know that you are good and you are just and you know what is best for all of us. We thank you for being the great God that you are. We thank you for hearing and answering our prayers. We love you and we trust you, Lord. In Jesus' name. And we all agreed and said, Amen. please be seated.